Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Welcome back, everybody. Let me get right to it here. I want to cover a little bit regarding Hawaii right here off the top. I've got a few interesting things to bring up. Uh, a great deal of education-related things as well, and then, of course, jab-related stuff. And I want to cover a quick little hit piece that was written about me approximately two years ago from the Associated Press regarding uh, the school board speech that I gave, and frankly, it's aged like a horrific bottle of fine wine. Of course, in the article, they say that they tried to reach out to me, which, of course, the Associated Press didn't, and uh, they had no problem getting a hold of Robert Malone so he could cover his own ass, and, well, frankly, I've got some audio from him I want to play, too, from two years ago, which is remarkably weak. And, ladies and gentlemen, again, if these individuals find themselves wearing white lab coats, giving speeches on the steps of Washington, or walking some red carpet, uh, you know, promoting one of their documentaries or whatever, I'm sorry, these people are not our friends. These are the gatekeepers, these are the individuals who are trying to limit our thought on a great deal of issues, and it disgusts me. So, with that said, let me get into this Hawaii stuff. Just a couple of things again. Plenty of footage on the war videos regarding what's going on there. I know there's a lot of talk, of course, as to what's taking place on the ground on social media. Again, no doubt about it that it's chemtrail added as well, M maybe mixed in with a little bit of harp and uh, increasing the wind speeds and things of that nature. Again, I don't know, I, I frankly don't understand any of the talk regarding any hurricane and hurricane winds. It was not cloudy, it was not raining. There were just massive gusts of winds and sustained winds when it didn't seem like there needed to be. Uh, that's beyond strange, of course. And then, as we know, many of the celebrities' homes are completely untouched while everybody else's are wiped out. Not to mention the governor there has openly stated that the government's going to buy up the land and then reappropriate it. This is a mistake. This is a, a classic mistake and a huge mistake if the people there who live there allow that to happen. I want to remind people of something, too. There's an excellent channel on YouTube that I watch, and it's called History Dose. He had an episode a while back, and it is titled, I believe, Warrior King, but it is about Kamehameha, the conqueror king of Hawaii. I highly recommend watching that, and I highly recommend Hawaiians watching that and, uh, you know, getting back to the roots of their, of their islands. I just find it remarkably disturbing how quickly they forget their heritage and how quickly they forget, and again, we're all guilty of this, certainly to some extent in varying degrees, but we forget about where we came from and what our ancestors did before us. If invaders showed up on the Hawaiian islands, the people who lived on, the, on those islands would kill them. They were vicious warriors because they defended their land and they cared about where they lived. But if you're a Hawaiian and you're standing in line for a box of crackers and soda, because your home has been completely destroyed by the government, and let's face it, this is the government. Your government attacked you. Hawaii is a state in the United States, as we all know. Our own government has attacked us. Now, we don't live there, at least I don't, of course, but plenty of people do. 
And why on earth are you going to stand in line and receive a handout from the very government that just destroyed everything that you have? You have nothing left. Again, I saw a video of a guy. He comes up to a truck driver. And he simply starts talking with the guy and having a conversation. And he basically says, look, we've lost everything. We have nothing. We need to talk. We need to organize. We need to get together. And the truck driver guy seemed to agree. I mean, he, he seemed to completely understand. Again, when you take everything from someone, they have nothing left to lose. And you have endless people, again, consistently saying that real estate agents are pouring in and offering them money for the land and trying to buy a number of different things from them and give up their property and give up their familial heritage to that land so that they can start building on it. The governor himself, like I said, same thing, wants to reappropriate the land for low-income housing and a number of other things. They're, they, they're, openly, they're openly saying this. They're openly saying this. One of the senators for Hawaii, for God's sakes, is a Jewish guy with the last name Chance. There's nothing Hawaiian about him. And he was on MSNBC, and he was just wringing his hands and laughing and smiling throughout the entire thing. Well, we're still in the cleanup phase, but uh, a lot of money's getting thrown there, and his eyes got real big, and he got a big smile on his face. This is disgusting. The police department and the police who are there are not their friends. The FEMA organizations, the Red Cross, it, it doesn't matter. It's government. Anybody who is in a position of government right now who is over there is your enemy. I'm absolutely shocked. But I'm not shocked when it comes to the pacification of everybody and what's gone on. That, that is very predictable and unfortunately it's very disturbing. The Hawaiians need to organize. They need to stand up against government and go after them if they have to. They should not be waiting in line for some handout. They should just take it. Because it's theirs. Because what was theirs was destroyed by the very people giving the handout now. Again, understand that your heritage and your lineage matters. And your ancestors on the Hawaiian Islands would have cut the heads off of any enemy trying to invade their property. They would have burned them at the stake. And they would have cut their limbs off and sent them to the other islands to warn people, if you come here, this is what happens to you. I'm shocked that the governor can just walk around like he owns the place. I'm shocked. Endless people have been vaporized by what's gone on. And like I said earlier, chemtrails, no doubt. You litter all those buildings with all of that aluminum, barium, strontium, and all the other chemicals. There's no doubt about it that, uh, that many of those buildings would go up in absolute flames. And again, as it's been stated numerous times, why would automobiles melt and yet trees remain standing? These are numerous kinds of weapons being used. And as Alex Jones even said, you know, he was just blaming it on arsonists with matches. No, 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 no. No, it's way worse than that. I'm not doubting that that's that that's possible. It could certainly be some leftist lunatic lighting something on fire from a distance, but there's more to it than that. There's way more going on. And for the Hawaiian people to let the police tell them what to do and what they cannot do, 
and to let government tell them what to do and then tell them what they can't do, I'm sorry. You're bending the knee to your enemy. The Hawaiians need to stand up here and do something. And by do something, I mean they need to start going after their politicians and the police and the whole thing. And I mean that. I'm serious about that. Stop standing in line and waiting for them to tell you what to do. It's, it's beyond ridiculous. And while you're at it, by the way, tear down all the 5G towers. If there's any 5G towers still standing or uh, still erected, again, whether they be those big bastards or the small ones, rip them down. Just rip them down. Your ancestors lived off the land with a palm frond as their roof. Get to work. Get to work. Organize. Start building shacks for you to live in so you can stay dry in the rain and you have a place, you have a place to sleep. Start building fires. Start fishing. Start feeding the people. This is what your ancestors did for Christ's sake. Do the same thing. They wore loincloths and carried spears. You're pissed that what? You don't have cell phone service anymore? Get back to your roots. Get back to your roots. You know, part of me, again, has, has wanted the internet to go out for a very long time. I really do. Because those of us who know how to survive will survive. Those who are dependent on the internet for everything. You know, oh, I can't buy something on Amazon. What will I do? Who cares? Who cares? Get back to what your ancestors were doing. That matters. That's a big deal. But don't let government come in, steal your land, and then tell you what you can and cannot do on it. Find your spine. Get back to your heritage and destroy your enemy. That's my two cents. That's what I'd be doing if I was there. If I was living there with my mind frame now and the education I have now, I'd be screaming at people constantly. What are you doing? Why are we not getting together and organizing? Why are we not going after these people or these people? Why are we not stealing these supplies? That government is here to just hand out, and if we don't sign particular pieces of paper, well, they won't give it to us. Get mad and get after it and get to work. Because what's coming in, you're not going to like. Because they don't want you there. They want you gone. And you can say into TikTok videos all you want, you know, we don't want to give our land back. That's not going to happen. Look, they're just going to take it. But you need to send a message that if people come there and they want to take it, well, those people aren't going to make it. Just organize, communicate, and get to work. Because government is your enemy. That's all. They're your enemy. They are not your friend. Again, I don't see any Hawaiians doing that famous haka dance or whatever the hell they do. I don't see them doing that. I don't see them pounding their chests and screaming in the air all in unison with their shoes off, dancing around like they're a bunch of tough guys. I don't see that. Where's all that tough guy persona? Where'd all that go? You like dancing on YouTube for clicks, but you don't like defending your own land? What did your ancestors do when they defended their land? Think about that for a while. Think about that. Let that sink in. Here's an article that was sent to me. Maui burned and your dreams are being burned to the ground. This is from the Utah 
StandardNews.com by Ed Wallace, the publisher. It says, quote, if the town is historic and you can't build there, burn it. If indigenous people own the land and will not sell out, burn it. Wipe them out. But only the poor folks. Oprah's estate didn't burn. Obama's property didn't burn. Zuckerberg, who wanted to acquire more land, may finally have succeeded in wrestling land away from people without his money. They're important mouthpieces for global warming. So their Hawaiian estates are deemed eco-friendly. First, the sirens failed. Then they said 50 died. Then 80. Now, now what is it? It says 1,000. Donated goods are not being delivered. Plans are all being, already being announced for a high-rise community. Aloha. Still believe that the, our government, is not out to get you? People are being turned away by the military who want to help and donate. The warning systems didn't go off, and they are claiming it must have been a malfunction, quote-unquote. An executive order was signed in July stating that they could take your land if it needed to be rezoned, or if you needed to be rezoned. It says the deeper one is willing to look, the more sinister it gets. This is being exposed as pre-planned intentional regulatory taking. Massive layers of policies and regulations are now in place, disguised to protect, quote-unquote, lives and the environment. What they really are is a cover to ignore proper engineering and resource management practices. Land goes untended. Stormwater systems are intentionally ignored. Marginal building zoning practices are allowed. And insurance subsidy schemes established. The natural disasters come. The ensuing crises, quote-unquote, boil up in the media. No one is held accountable. Global warming, quote-unquote, is often the boogeyman. Then the mortgage and insurance regulator scheme, or regulatory schemes, rather, kick in to take property. People cannot afford the insurance reclassifications and or rebuilding costs. Lose their homes and land. It is never rebuilt unless the elites want the space. Wake up, America. Your American dream is being burned to the ground. Unquote. They can do it anywhere they want. It doesn't just have to be an island. It doesn't have to be in j just California or Utah or wherever or Canada. They can do this anywhere. And they're doing it. And people aren't recognizing this. They're still standing in line for crackers because, well, they think government's there to help them. That's not the case. And if there's any doubt, any doubt at all that this was pre-planned, on Amazon, ladies and gentlemen, there is a book that is titled Fire and Fury, the story of the 2023 Maui fires and its implications for climate change. There's a Kindle edition to this book. And a paperback. The paperback is $12.99. And the Kindle is $7 or $6.99. Here's the description. By the way, the publication date for this was August 10th of this year, 2023. Here's the description. Fire and Fury. The story of the Maui fire and its implications for climate change is a gripping and eye-opening account of one of the most devastating wildfires in Hawaii's history. 
and how it reveals the urgent need to address the global climate crisis. Why was this released before or during the fires? A Dr. Miles Stones wrote this, S-T-O-N-E-S. It's planned. All of this was pre-planned, and I would arrest Dr. Miles Stones, and I'd find him. I'd tie him to a chair, put a hot light in his face, and I'd question the ever-living shit out of him. As far as I'm concerned, this guy's a suspect. We know government is in control. We know, that, again, that nefarious anti-military or even hyper-military agencies have been involved in this, but I would arrest this guy. He's, again, beyond a suspect here. The description, of course, continues. That was just the title. It says, The book chronicles the events of August 8th through the 11th of 2023, and yet it was published on the 10th. Weird. When a massive fire swept across the island of Maui, fueled by drought, heat, and hurricane winds. The book describes the harrowing experiences of the people who lived through the fire, as well as the heroic efforts of the firefighters and rescuers who battled the flames. The book also examines the causes and consequences of the fire both locally and globally and how it exposes the vulnerability of our society and our planet to the impacts of climate change. The book draws on scientific research, eyewitness accounts, official reports, and media coverage to provide a comprehensive and compelling narrative of the Maui fire and its implications for climate change. The book also offers practical solutions and recommendations on how we can prevent and prepare for future wildfires and how we can reduce our greenhouse gas emissions and adapt to a changing climate. Fire and Fury, the story of the Maui fire and its implications for climate change is a must-read for anyone who cares about the environment, the future of humanity, and the fate of our beautiful planet. I would arrest this author. I would arrest them. Find out where they live, go there, ask them a few questions. Are you curious as to the ratings on this? It received a single one-star rating. And then there are, or nothing but one-star ratings, rather, and there are 13 global ratings. And no one bought this book. Nobody. None of these people reviewing this are verified purchasers of said book. Let me read these, uh, read these reviews. The first one is August 15th, written by a Mary. It says, quote, again, one star. And they titled it, How? Question mark. How can one write a book about an event still occurring? It says in the description of the event, 8-8 through 8, I'm sorry, August 8th through the 11th, yet was published on the 10th. Is the author psychic? If he is, then I believe he could give us a lottery number before I buy into this climate change garbage, not the word I would choose, but I will keep it clean. And then it says, facts, the earth and climate has been changing for thousands of years. Ice age, anyone? Well, I don't trust that necessarily, but either way, trust the science, the real science, it says, not the made-up science to push agendas. I have better things to spend my money and time on than propaganda. Oh, wait, it was free, but still cost my time to read 44 pages of trash. Had it been an actual paper book, I would have burned it. And then it says 382 people found that helpful. (laughs) 
you've got a hundred you've got hundreds of people <laughs> you have hundreds of people uh finding finding these one star ratings helpful calling this complete bullshit it's great the next one says distasteful factless and poorly written it says clearly this author or rather parasite is writing for profit not informative Hence, writing while the tragedy is still unfolding, not knowing a thing about the history of the place, how water had been diverted, large ponds and forests had been cleared, all for commercial farming. Unquote. Another one said, Are you kidding? Published before the fire is out. It says, Paperback books take longer than two days to print. Clearly, this tragedy and the book detailing it was planned unbelievable. Even AI can't write, print, and publish a book in two days. It says, do not buy this book. This is an expense. This is at the expense of many lives, mostly children. Another one says, shows their agenda. Another one says, what? So the author wrote this before it happened? Another comment, of course, says that it's a top-rated release, that underneath the title and underneath the, the, the author's name, along with the one-star rating, it is literally, it, it's been given by Amazon a top new release in the ecology section of Amazon's website. Again, doesn't this mean that Amazon is involved? Why are we not arresting Jeff Bezos and tying him to a chair and putting a hot light in his face and asking him questions? Doesn't it seem like he's a suspect too? It seems like a lot of people are suspects in this mass murder because that's what it is. It's not arson. Oh, it's arson. That's all, Sean. It's just arson. No, 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 no. These aren't a couple of teenagers with a box of matches. This is government destroying people's property and killing them. That's what this is. Wake up, Hawaiians. Stop letting your politicians and your law enforcement just walk around. Get involved. Get involved. Okay. I'm jacked up here. Let's go. Let's keep going. Education stuff. There's a great deal here. I want to touch on one thing. Had a nice text message back and forth with AJ Gochik the other day, our favorite California lawyer. Um, you know, just asking him a couple of questions and conversing about a few things. Uh, as you all know, of course, it is not just the female mind that is under attack and the female sex that is under attack by the powers that be and the uh, the parasites and the influencers that seek to destroy the young female mind and draw them away from wanting a nuclear family or wanting to be a homemaker, but it is also the men. And I am well aware that this is the case. In fact, allow me to provide just a couple of examples here. I fully understand that there is the the draw to a particular movement, which I've referenced here on the show before, but the men going their own way uh, movement. That movement actually has less to do with being a single man for the rest of one's life, more than it has to do actually with making sure that the female partner that the man picks is the right female partner. It the men going your own way movement really has more to do with making sure that your vetting process for a wife and a mother and a homemaker is a solid choice. 
that you're not making a mistake in that regard. Because, of course, within that entire movement, which again propped up and popped up rather about 10 years ago, if I had to take a guess, it was approximately 10 years ago, maybe a little longer, but it really gained, gained a lot of steam within the last, I'd say, five plus years. And numerous peer-reviewed articles have actually been written about it, and plenty of books have been written about it too. But the reason that that's the case is because it has to do with what happens when a man ends up getting divorced. Again, if the female is ultimately responsible for the divorce because of something that the female is guilty of doing, the man pays the price financially. The man is on the hook. And, uh, and, and that's, you know, that's awful. That's, uh, the, the divorce laws and the alimony laws in the United States for, for men are horrific. And I'm not saying that they can't be guilty of, of, you know, doing terrible things which would cause a divorce. Clearly they can. Same is true with women. But when it comes to K-12 men and college-aged men, the amount of distractions that exist even within their lives also are purposefully there to take their attention away from females. I mean, you can pick one. Sports, video games, um, substance abuse, substance use, you name it. If, if they are around these kinds of things and they trivialize a relationship with the female, then that's, what's, that's exactly what that's teaching them. It's teaching them to trivialize those relationships the same way that women are under attack for trivializing rather those those kinds of relationships which have no business being trivialized. You should never trivialize a relationship, let alone an intimate one. That's why they fail. And of course, these other distractions increase the likelihood of a lack of communication. And a lack of communication is hands down the driver and the primer of any relationship failing. Doesn't matter what kind of relationship it is. If people stop talking about real things that matter, it's going to end. It's only a matter of time. Not to mention again, it's being sold to men on a constant basis to make a ton of money, that you have to be rich, wealthy, live in a huge house. That's not necessarily true. You don't need those things to have a family and be happy, but it's fed to young men to be more materialistic, just like it is women. There's also this element too, and I again alluded to it in the last episode when it came to the propaganda within quote-unquote entertainment. If anybody out there is like me, you enjoyed Western movies growing up. Western movies have always been my, excuse me, favorite genre of movie for a variety of reasons. And I know that a lot of leftist lunatics would say something like, it perpetuates the patriarchy and all that other horseshit. No, what it does is, is it provides a moral foundation and a just foundation to an individual and then multiple individuals to live by. Do the right thing. Don't allow yourself to be abused. Let me give you a quick example. You can pick practically any John Wayne movie you want, which is why I enjoy his movies, and I I still watch them to this day. They are the most morally sound and just movies that you will see. Because, again, it's not even his movies. It's almost every Western. And it's not an accident, by the way, that Westerns don't get made anymore. 
And if they do, they aren't high budget. They're very low budget. None are in the theater. They go to streaming services and they don't even get a lot of hype during streaming services. But the point is, is that the, the general theme within almost every single Western movie is a strong man finds his way into a town where individuals have been brainwashed or been abused and they've been beaten down to the point where they don't defend themselves anymore. And they feel like they can't defend themselves anymore because if they even defend themselves, both the men and the women, then they will be held accountable. In particular, the men. That if the men defend themselves, they will be held accountable by the corruption that exists within the town. It's a constant theme. We're seeing the exact same theme within American schools and American colleges and universities. Same thing. Even workplaces, same thing. The man stands up for himself against somebody who's cheating, lying, stealing, being violent toward them. What happens to the man? That person gets arrested and prosecuted just along with the other person. So it's not a matter of what's right or or even defending yourself or what's really moral. It's about blurring those lines and making that as confusing as humanly possible in order to pacify the male. This happens constantly, and it, of course, occurred within all of these Western movies. Now, again, I could give you endless examples because I've almost seen them all. I'm not kidding. One of the first Clint Eastwood movies I ever saw was High Plains Drifter. He directed that movie, by the way. He rolls into town, and it is the town where his brother, it's assumed that it is his brother, although throughout the movie you're, you're not quite sure. You wonder whether or not he was reincarnated, that it's his dead brother reincarnated, and he's coming back into the town to get even or whatever it may be. He comes back into the town. It's rather graphic at the beginning. I mean, he rapes a woman. But he comes back into town in order to get even and reinject a spine into the people in that town who have watched murder take place in broad daylight on their streets. And then they all just kind of go back to what they were doing. And they let this small posse of guys just kind of rule the whole place. They come in a town, come into town, they, they leave town. They come back and forth. Well, Clint Eastwood shows up, walks around like he owns the place this time, and he's the good guy. He walks around like he owns the place. Everybody stares at him. They don't know who he is or what's going on. He kills a few people in the process. And then he tells the town folk to take their town back, to stop being wimps and get a spine. And then he says, before the bad guys come back into town, we're going to paint the town red. So they painted every single building red with red paint. And then the bad guys come in and they look confused. What the hell's going on? And then Clint Eastwood kills them. I hate to ruin the movie. It's a great movie. I highly recommend it. But pick a Western. It's the same kind of thing. Same kind of stuff. Not to mention the the character roles that exist within Westerns. You You have women being women. And there are varying degrees of that, of course, you know, as, uh, certainly from a moral standpoint. And, and same thing with men. You have varying degrees of men. But who ends up being the hero and who ends up being the most morally sound at the end of the movie? Is it the coward 
who was who was cowardly throughout the entire time and now all of a sudden has found their spine and their genitals? No. It's the person who always had it from the start. It's the person who came in and re-injected everybody and uh, with whatever you want to call it, a little fortitude and some and some faith in who they are supposed to be. Those themes exist throughout all of these movies. The women dress appropriately, by and large. The men do too. You can look at them. You can know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. Same thing with the women. You can tell who the good good women are and who the bad women are. And then when there are children around, the children are being taught very important lessons. Lessons like loyalty, faith, family. That's why those aren't on TV. That's why you have to turn on a TV and you see the television show Blackish. Or you see the television show, what's that other one? Uh, the Neighbors or something like that. It's, it's, uh, it's a Jewish guy and his wife who make their way into a black neighborhood in the suburbs. And the white guy's the one who is out of place. So it's a bunch of white jokes taking place. You see how the roles have been completely flipped and are completely upside down? It's brainwashing, and it's working, and it's destroying the minds of both young men and young women at the same time. I mean, sit your children down and have them watch a Western movie. Have them watch a John Wayne movie. When John Wayne showed up on the screen, he always had a smile, usually, right out of the gate, and you knew he was the good guy. And he would have ups and downs, stereotypical with life. So would the women. But he would come to the aid of women. And women would, of course, come to his aid as well. And there would be that partnership. And they'd both shoot guns together, and they would, you know, fight off the enemy. And if there was a child involved again, the child would receive some kind of a lesson. I mean, in Hondo, he grabs the little kid and throws him into the river because the kid doesn't know how to swim. And then the woman, his mother, says, well, I don't know how to swim either. And then John Wayne turns and looks at her, and she gets a smile on her face and panicked look, and she runs away. And John Wayne's smiling and laughing the whole time. And by, of course, the end of the movie, everybody's found their spines again. They know who their enemy is. They're not scared anymore. They're not pacified anymore. But it requires action. It requires getting involved. Doesn't mean you have to be a gunslinging murderer. It just means you need to find your spine, organize, and communicate with one another. Kind of like, again, what the Hawaiian people should be doing right now and elbowing out government. It's the same theme. The same theme is playing out in real time in reality. The Hawaiian government is the corrupt sheriff, deputy, judge, and other deputies that are roaming around the town, all wearing their trench coats and their hats, snarling at people, making it sound like they're in charge, while they talk down to everybody who lives in the town, all the townsfolk. And they're talking down to all of them, and don't worry, everybody go home, we will help you. Yes, I know you don't have homes, but don't worry, we'll help you. It's the same kind of theme. This is pacifying youth. It's pacifying youth. This should be pissing off youth. This should be making them immensely angry at every institution that exists. Western movies, ladies and gentlemen, there are endless lessons that need to be revisited within those. I'll give you one more example. At the end of the movie, Open Range, again, great movie, 
Lots of excellent themes throughout. They even have Annette Benning in it, you know, trying to be the tough female. And there's one particular scene that's laughable, but again, there's no offense and it's not a dig on women, but there's a scene in the movie where toward the end, she just yells at the sheriff because the sheriff's already shot somebody and shot a bunch of people and there's already been a gunfight and she just walks out in the middle of the street by herself and just starts yelling and just starts yelling, stop it. That's all she keeps yelling, stop it, stop it. And I'm watching this and I'm going, oh, please, please. All the sheriff had to do was just shoot her. <laughs> and then that would have been the end of it. She didn't have a gun in her hands. She didn't have a gun on her hip, nothing. She just walks out there and yelling, stop it. And then all of a sudden, everybody in the town just listens to her. Now, that wasn't the end of the movie, of course. You know, she ends up falling to the ground and trying to cover up and help a person who's been shot. And then the shooting continues. And by the end of the movie, when the good guys have won, and there's a few bad guys left trying to run out of the town and run away, do you know what the townsfolk do? They chase that person down and they shoot him. That's what they do in that movie. It's a movie. I'm not suggesting that. I'm simply saying that's what happens in those movies. Those people take back what is theirs. They could have taken it back any time they wanted. But things had to get so bad that they finally took it back. And they needed a different kind of person, of course, to show up in the town and remind them of their rights. Because in those movies, stereotypically, within almost all of them, you see people not only scared, but they forfeit their rights all of the time. You see, this is one of the reasons why I'm alive. I'm still alive because I don't forfeit my rights for anything. That's why I was a whistleblower. That's why I always stood up for children. That's why I always worked with parents. And I even would look at parents and say, you're doing this wrong. You're blaming your children for your fault. It's not your child's fault. It's your fault. I mean, that, didn't, you know, that doesn't get you a lot of friends when you're a school teacher. But even so, the student knows that that's the case. And I wasn't intentionally trying to drive a wedge between incompetent parents and competent students, most of the parents I dealt with were incredibly competent and, and knew that what I was doing, of course, in a classroom was, was remarkably sound. But the point is, is that this is the lesson that has to be carried out throughout time. And if generations are skipped, when it comes to learning these lessons about standing up for yourself in the face of tyranny, ladies and gentlemen, we're not going to win. We're not going to win. So watch Western movies. I'm serious. Sit down as a family. Watch them. They matter. They're really, really important. Women are women. Men are men. If you have teenage boys or middle school age boys or elementary school age boys and girls, sit them down and, and watch them. Excellent entertainment. Better than watching sports. Again, these are old, important stories that have endless lessons, that are lifelong lessons. My question, of course, is, is how often is that happening? And I think we're seeing, again, the pacification of both young men and women, clearly on purpose, because they will be the ones that continue to trust government. We can't have that, because then we won't have a nation. So there you go. That's my rant on that. Let me read this too. Uh, a rather famous individual wrote a rather famous book. 
two volumes as it as it turns out and uh they specifically spoke about the subject of education and there's a subchapter here that is titled joy in responsibility again has a lot to do with men and women let me and in particular youth let me read a little bit from this and trust me i could read a great deal from this rather famous book but let me just read a little bit it says the following quote the highest importance should be attached to the training of willpower and decisiveness and also the joyful acceptance of responsibility in the army a standard principle held that any order was always better than none applied to our youth this becomes any answer is better than none fear of replying because one is afraid to be wrong ought to be considered more humiliating than giving a wrong answer on this primitive basis our youth should be trained to have the courage to act it has often been lamented that in november and december of 1918 all authorities failed and that from the monarch on down to the last divisional commander no one had the strength to make a decision of his own responsibility that terrible fact constitutes a grave rebuke of our educational system because what was then revealed on a colossal scale at that moment of catastrophe recurs on a smaller scale. It's the lack of willpower, and not the lack of arms, that renders us incapable of resistance today. This deficit is found everywhere among our people and prevents decisive action wherever risks are found as if any great deed did not involve risk. Now, I'm sure you'll be able to figure out which book this is coming up here, but it continues. And I'm going to finish this little subchapter. It says the following, quote, Quite unsuspectingly, a German general found a formula for this lamentable spinelessness when he said, quote, I act only when I can count on a 51% chance of success, unquote. In that 51%, we find the very root of the German collapse. The man who, def who demands from fate a guarantee of success deliberately denies the significance of a heroic act. For in this lies the very fact that an action is undertaken that may lead to success despite knowing that the situation is fraught with moral danger. A cancer victim who faces certain death, if he doesn't have an operation, needs no 51% chance of success. And if the operation promises only a half percent chance of success, a courageous man will risk it and won't otherwise whine about his life. All in all, the cowardly lack of willpower and indecisiveness are chiefly results of the faulty education of our youth, with disastrous effects later in life. The crowning example of this is the lack of civil courage in our leading statesmen. Along the same line, we see the present-day cowardice towards responsibility. Here, too, it's the fault of the education of our youth, which permeates all aspects of public life and finds its immortal consummation in the institution of parliamentary government. Even at school, unfortunately, more value is placed on repentant confession and contrite renunciation by our little sinners 
than on a frank avowal. But this latter seems today, in the eyes of many educators, the surest sign of utter incorrigibility and deprivation. And, incredible as it may seem, many a boy is told that the gallows await him because he has shown certain traits that would be of inestimable value in the nation as a whole. Just as the folkish state must one day give its attention to developing willpower and decisiveness among the youth, so too must it inculcate in the hearts from early childhood onward a joy in responsibility and the courage of avowal. Only if it recognizes the full importance of this necessity will it, after centuries of educational work, succeed in building up a nation that will no longer be subject to those weaknesses that have contributed so disastrously to our present decline. Unquote. I'm telling you, I could keep going. And if you know what book I'm talking about, I highly recommend it. Just so happens to be Mein Kampf, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, almost every single thing he says regarding the subject of education and the maturation of our youth and the raising of children is on point. It's completely on point. So on the other end of the spectrum, get a load of this. Let me dive into a few education headlines and ask yourself, is, is this what, uh, what was just being discussed? Does this sound like the problem? Certainly does to me. This is from the Daily Signal, and it is titled, Unmitigated Disaster. Lawmakers call for school choice after students soil themselves stuck on buses for six hours. It says a dozen Kentucky legislators are calling for a complete overhaul in state education after a transportation nightmare on the first day of school. Stranded hundreds of Louisville students on buses until almost 10 p.m. Wednesday. Relying on a controversial computer program, AlphaRoute, to remap already lengthy bus routes for the school district's short-staffed bus team. Why are they short-staffed? Jefferson County School Superintendent Martin Polio bragged that students wouldn't wait for more than an hour. Polio had just received a $75,000 raise from the Louisville-based school district. As the Daily Signal reported Thursday, Alpha Route, this program, previously had botched mapping of school bus routes in Columbus, Ohio. State Representative Jason Nemes, if I'm saying that right, don't care, a Republican, called the situation in Louisville schools an unmitigated debacle in an interview Friday with the Daily Signal. With kids, he said the following, quote, with kids stuck on the bus for over six hours, several ended up soiling themselves. One elementary student who didn't speak English, was dropped off at the wrong stop. Seven or eight years old, he was. An unrelated mom and dad saw this kid crying on the street and approached him. That's the only reason we found him, unquote. Many teachers were left driving around Louisville for hours to take students home. Uh, it says, quote, what if a teacher had gotten into an accident, he asked. Would they have been liable? Jefferson County Public Schools announced the next morning, Thursday, that schools would be closed that day and Friday so that administrators could fix transportation issues, quote-unquote. In response, 12 members of the state Senate and House wrote an open letter to Jefferson County parents, teachers, students, and taxpayers demanding immediate change. The lawmakers' uh, letter 
Here it says, called for four key changes. Number one, give all students the right to attend their neighborhood schools instead of busing students across Jefferson County depending on their assigned school. Number two, set up a commission to evaluate breaking up Jefferson County Public Schools, which currently is the largest school district in Kentucky, serving almost 96,000 students. Number three, elect new members to the Jefferson County Board of Education. And number four, ask voters on a 2024 ballot whether the state constitution should be amended to provide universal school choice. It's more than a debacle, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, I could keep going here. But you know my stance on this. I'm an abolitionist of the highest order. These places collapse when you leave. And I don't like this government intervention stuff. Government showing up and saying, look, give them school choice. They have school choice. They have it. They've had it this entire time. They're just brainwashed. And they don't know that they have it. That leads me to this quick little story. I I have to bring this up. The other night, Stu Peters had on a girl, a, uh, I'm going to get her name wrong, Julia Maria DeLuca, if I'm saying that right, probably not. She's a 20-something with a Twitter account, and she's blonde, okay? Bless her heart, not credentials. As a result, and of course she has no experience other than being either a current or a former college student, he had her on and was discussing the subject of education. And she did say, homeschool. She said it. She said, you need to homeschool. Parents need to homeschool. And she was blunt about it, and good for her. Stu Peters then chimed in, and he said, oh, I completely agree, but for the parents who can't. And he, of course, is one of them, so he thinks. He has three children, uh, two middle school-aged, if I'm not mistaken, and another elementary school-aged, or all of them are generally around that, that general age. Point is, he was advocating for the fact that you have to take over your school boards. You have to change the system the best way you can. What he doesn't understand is, it's not that easy, and it doesn't work that way. You can't get rid of these radical teachers and you can't get rid of these incompetent administrators and so on and so forth by just running for school board and winning a position. It does nothing. It accomplishes nothing. Abolishing the system accomplishes everything. Everything. And again, you've heard me bring up, well, what does that mean? I mean, what would happen ultimately if the vast majority of the people left? What would happen is is it would force the hands of the parents to be parents again. They forfeited their rights. They gave them up. Again, parents became the weak townsfolk in a Western movie. And then somebody had to show up and remind them that they can do it, that it's possible. Again, look at our our lineage. Look at our ancestors and look at our family history. What, What the DeLuca gal could have told Stu, which of course she's not going to, and I would have told him this if he'd had me on, I'd have said, look, you have to change the way you have to be a parent. It's that simple. You have to look at your children and teach them to be vigilant in their own home when dad's gone. Lock the doors. Don't answer the phone. Here's a cell phone. This is for the house. This is for me to call you and you to call me. It'll say my name at the top when I'm calling. When I call, pick it up. If you want to call me and ask me a question, call and ask me a question. Keep the doors locked. Again, look, look at the uh, you know look at the old Western movies when the parents would leave the house. 
They'd look at the son and the daughter. They'd say, Billy, Sally, rifle is on the mantle. The six shooters on the table. If anybody breaks in, shoot them. That's it. Horses are in the back. Shoot them. Get on the horses. Hide in the woods. Ride away. And, and that's it. And, and the siblings would teach one another also while they're teaching themselves. The advance that we have now, of course, is we have Abeka.com and we have these other programs that work and can lead a student instead of being in a brick-and-mortar environment. But people have to change the way that their parents. Well, I don't want to leave my kid home alone. Well, I don't want to do this and I don't want to do that. The only reason you don't want to is because you're not teaching them properly. Again, I understand that sounds harsh. You're saying, well, Sean, you don't have kids. You don't know. Well, I would have taught my kids to be vigilant. I would have taught them to be able to manage themselves in our home environment because it's their home too. And learn how to protect themselves and focus on things. Again, don't answer the front door. Keep the doors locked. Stay in the house. Let the dog out from time to time. Bring the dog back in. Things of that nature. Keep your head on a swivel. Look around. Notice your surroundings. These things can happen on anyone's property. I don't care where you live. Doesn't matter if a kid is living in an apartment in an inner city. They have responsibilities. Again, I just read a big section just now from a rather important book about the business of teaching people responsibility. That's not happening, and therein lies the problem. So there's always this forfeiture of, of using the government system as a backstop. The government will save us. Run for school board. Somebody else will save us. No, it doesn't work that way. Save yourself. Save yourself and save your own children. Let me read you a quick email I received from a listener of the show who has done just that. They've saved their own children along with their wife. They said, hey, Sean, needed to share this. As an FYI, the Abeka program has a really good foundation in Bible study. We didn't know what to expect. But day one for 10th grade in the DVD instruction has the kids opening their King James Bibles to Romans chapter 10. I can't really express how this made me feel knowing they were learning about Jesus. Last year, my daughter's earth science teacher basically told the class that there's no God. And they are a mistake formed from pond scum. Is there any wonder the kids are all on meds for depression? Initially, our response was to write a letter or attend a board meeting, but we liked your take on things better. Walk away, blaze your own path. God bless. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. That email made my day. I know who that person is. We communicate with regularity. I've read their emails on the show before, but that's it right there. In a nutshell. They're not going, well, we need to run for school board and we need to change this giant government corrupt system. No, you can't. You beat them by leaving, by abolishing the entire system. That's how you win. So the parenting has to change. The responsibility of being the parent has got to change. Again, I know, I know the excuses at face value. I know them. They're physically handicapped. They're mentally handicapped. We can't leave them alone, home alone. They're severely autistic, even borderline violent. I understand that. I know that that exists. But that also means then that you are reliant on those systems, those government systems, to educate your child or at the very least manage them. 
And I'm sorry that that's the case for many people, but for the ones who don't need to be there because they are able-bodied and able-minded, don't go. Don't be there. By law, the system has to exist for those who are quote unquote physically and mentally handicapped. It wouldn't be a complete it wouldn't be a complete cave-in of the entire system. The system would just be reformulated to cater to those kinds of students and those kinds of youth. And that's fine. I understand that has to exist. But that's where I would like to see things go. And that's just my humble opinion, but that's where I would like to see things go. The able-bodied and the able-minded have no business being there. They don't need all of the accommodations and, you know, the aides walking around them with regularity. They don't need all of that. In fact, they need none of it. And I would even go so far as those that do have those accommodations and those aides walking around them. If you've ever been in the system and you know how corrupt it is, you know that even those students don't need that 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 extra help and that extra attention or that extra surveillance. They don't need it. Many of them don't even want it. That's because it, again, I've beat this dead horse, but it goes against our innate ability to be an individual. Yes, there is a collective that we can all work work toward that is a, a, a very positive collective, but my God, people have to tap into their own individuality. And when you strip that from a minor and from youth, it's game over. And if you just throw them back on the bus where they're going to soil themselves again for a multi-hour bus ride, who's really the problem then at that point? Who's the problem? Is it the school system or is it the parent? Here's another one. Here's another story in the same wavelength of gaslighting and government dependence and university dependence. And, you know, you need us. This is from the postmillennial.com. It is titled Harvard University encourages students to apply for food stamps despite having $53 billion endowment. It says Harvard is literally the richest school on planet Earth. It says the following here it says this after graduate students, rather complained that their yearly $40,000 salary isn't enough money for them to skate by. The Harvard Graduate Student Union, or HGSU, has submitted a proposal demanding a $20,000 salary increase for graduate students, stating that $60,000 should be the bare minimum given to each graduate student per year. Says the request followed a flyer that had been sent to graduate students by the Health Services Office in April, which encouraged these prestigious students to apply for SNAP benefits. The flyer read, quote, Fuel your body and stock your pantry. Did you know that grad students may qualify for assistance paying for food and groceries? Ladies and gentlemen, I didn't even know that graduate students got paid. I mean, I thought they might make a few bucks doing some research for, uh, you know, a a professor as a part of a graduate study, but I didn't think they actually got tens of thousands of dollars just to be a graduate student. And now, of course, they're saying that they want free food. You see, where's the responsibility? Where is it? It's gone. Here's another one. And this is a manipulative move right here. And this requires some slight analysis, although not too much. This too is from the Daily Signal. 
and it is titled Alabama GOP Says No to Teachers Union's Money in School-Related Elections. Allow me to briefly translate. Alabama government, the GOP government, is saying that they don't want teachers unions to put up money to help fund someone's candidacy to run in either school board or any other elected position. Okay, that's fine, and that should be a law. It doesn't matter, though, because teachers' unions can still get a hold of individuals who are running for office and meet them behind closed doors, meet with them behind closed doors, and simply say, hey, look, we can't give you money, not now anyway, but if you support what we support, and we support what you support, and we're on the same team, we'll give you a kickback down the line when you vote for a particular issue or a particular program. Yes, we can't give money to you as a result of your election, but what we can do is reimburse you. And we can, we can parcel out that reimbursement over the course of time, just as long as in a debate you support a particular program that we support, without making mention of our name. And then once you win, if you win, we will continue to support you any way you can as long as you continue to support us. Again, the Alabama GOP is saying don't support these individuals who are running beforehand and while they're actually running. But where does it stop? Are they allowed to support them after the fact? Of course they are. They can help fund school board members after the fact. Teachers unions do that all of the time. They always receive, school board members can receive kickbacks and under the table checks or under the table cash at a restaurant or at any kind of a meeting because they voted a particular way or because they support a particular program that the teachers unions also support. It's the mob. <laughs> it's, that's what it is. It's corruption. It's the mob. It's always been this way. So again, just because it looks like positive government intervention at the front end doesn't mean that the wrong thing is, is going to disappear at the back end. It won't. It won't go away. Teachers unions always want influence with board members, and board members love taking money from teachers unions if the teachers unions are willing to dish it out. They have a, again, they have a program coming in. They write a grant. There's going to be a few thousand dollars that finds its way at least a few thousand dollars. I mean, I'm lowballing it. There will be at least a few thousand dollars that finds its way into the pocket of a school board member because a school board member supported a particular thing. That happens all of the time. And speaking of things that should happen all of the time but don't, but it's starting to, thank God, another prediction comes true here. This is from WND.com. And it is titled, Parents Pull Daughters from Sports Teams After Boy Joins. Yay. Good. This should always be the case. This is the abolition I'm talking about. <laughs> this is it. The only way you win is by having all of the players walk away when a tranny shows up. Or someone wants to play pretend I'm the opposite gender or I'm the opposite sex of what I was born with. Everybody just walks away from the bread and circus. Everybody will be better for it. It says parents are planning on pulling their daughters off a Wisconsin high school sports team after a male has been allowed to compete, according to Fox 11. 
About 50 parents and athletes within the Green Bay Area Public Schools met with officials Thursday who told them that a male would be allowed to compete on a high school sports team and potentially use locker rooms on the basis of gender identity rather than biological sex, according to Fox 11 News, a Wisconsin-based outlet. With tryouts starting Monday, some girls do not plan to attend over concerns for their physical safety. Good. Beyond physical safety, I mean, put that, put that to the side for a minute. How about morals and values? How about ethics? <laughs> How about that? Not that, you know, you're going to get uh, bowled over in the paint as you're going up for, you know, as you're, as you're going in for a layup or whatever sport it is. I mean, that's not the real issue. The real issue is, is it's not morally correct. It says, quote, the girls are just kind of fed up hearing that your safety is our top concern from all these people, and they're really doing nothing about it. A parent with a daughter on the sports team told the outlet. The name of the school and the sport is not being named by local outlets reporting the story for safety concerns. Please. It says, in the meeting, the district told the parents that the male student would be allowed to compete on the team if the student meets Wisconsin Interscholastic Athletic Association regulations, which requires male-to-female transgender athletes take testosterone uh, suppression therapy for at least one year. Jesus. Yeah, take the wheel. It says the school district's transgender policy states that students should not be kept from participating in sports and that students looking to compete on the basis of gender identity will be addressed on a case-to-case basis. The Green Bay Public Area or Area Public School District rather cares about the well-being of every student, they say. All decisions regarding a student's ability to participate in co-curricular athletics rather and activities are made in accordance with Title IX law, board policy, and WIAA regulations. Uh, it's beyond gross. Just leave, because the tranny can't play by himself. No pun intended, he probably could. But you get what I'm saying. He can't play the sport by himself. No team will play, therefore the team won't exist. And let's face it, it's useless bread and circus. So who really cares? Read a book. Go home and read a book. Read about the fact that we're losing our country. Read about the fact that we're at war. I don't think a score on a scoreboard matters these days, does it? People give themselves away when that's what they're paying attention to. I understand people are in it for the exercise. I fully get it. That's that's valuable. I value exercise and, and teamwork and all of that, no doubt about it. But when it when a tranny shows up out of left field, I mean, it's time to find another thing to do. <laughs> it's, it's kind of the dead giveaway, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, Jesus. Good Lord. Okay, moving on here. Jab-related things. In the last episode, and, I'm, and thank you, by the way, to the individual who, who brought this to my attention. I am familiar with the person and familiar, certainly, with this quotation I'm going to read. And they reached out in the bit shoot comment section. Uh, in the last episode, when I was talking about the, that Santa Fe school that Sicily brought to my attention in New Mexico, that has closed its doors, uh, the Waldorf Private School of Santa Fe, which prides itself in the Rudolf Steiner philosophy. Well, Rudolf Steiner 
was a Austrian Jew. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but um, some of his philosophies, as it turns out, regarding education aren't terrible. They're not bad. Um, some of it has to do with the Montessori kind of aspect, although Maria Montessori, again, was um, not the greatest. And I'm not saying that Rudolf Steiner was either. It's more of a exploratory kind of educational philosophy. Let the kid explore all of the time without any any rigid instruction. There can be a healthy medium. There can be a healthy middle ground instead of going from, you know, the bell system that everybody knows, sit in your seats, the bell's rung, let's get to it, and then slapping people on the wrist when they get something wrong. There's that aspect. And then there's the exact opposite, which is more of the John Dewey aspect on the far end of that spectrum, which is don't teach kids how to read and write until they're eight and you know, let them explore and be manipulated by endless individuals. And again, that's what the pride parades are all about. That's what that entire movement is all about. Somewhere around the middle, you'll have the Rudolf Steiners and the Maria Montessoris. I tend to lean more toward, again, teaching children to read as young as possible. That way they learn more about what they're observing uh, rather than you know, maybe the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm rambling. The point is, Rudolf Steiner did say this regarding vaccinations, and it's rather horrific, and he mentioned it specifically regarding the state of the medical profession and what we would see. The individual who brought this to my attention stated that it wasn't a warning that Rudolf Steiner was providing people, it was a promise. It could be both. It's hard to know. I don't know the entire motivations of Rudolf Steiner back in the day, but I'm just going to read this quote, and it may sound familiar to you. Uh, so here we go. It says, more than a hundred years ago, Rudolf Steiner wrote the following, quote, In the future, we will eliminate the soul with medicine. Under the pretext of a healthy point of view, quote unquote, there will be a vaccine by which the human body will be treated as soon as possible directly at birth, so that the human being cannot develop the thought of the existence of the soul and spirit. And again, real quickly, Rudolf Steiner did believe in having the child find their soul and their spirit, which is, again, it depends on your interpretation, of course, and certainly his interpretation. Uh, Charlotte Mason, again, was, was the very same way, but she was the same way more from a biblical standpoint, and that she knew that children spoke directly to God. And so to have a God connection with children is immensely important, in particular when it comes to educating them. The quote continues here from Rudolf Steiner, and he said the following, To materialistic doctors, will be entrusted with the task of removing the soul of humanity. As today, people are vaccinated against this disease or disease, so in the future, children will be vaccinated with a substance that can be produced precisely in such a way that people, thanks to this vaccination, will be immune to the quote-unquote madness of spiritual life. He will be extremely smart, but he would not develop a conscience. 
and that is the true goal of some materialistic circles. With such a vaccine, you can easily make the etheric body loose in the physical body. Once the etheric body is detached, the relationship between the universe and the etheric body would become extremely unstable and man would become an automaton. For the physical body of a man must be polished on this earth by spiritual will. So, the vaccine becomes a kind of aromantic force. Man can no longer get rid of a given materialistic feeling. He becomes materialistic of constitution and can no longer rise to the spiritual. Unquote. Again, was it a warning? Was it a promise? It's hard to tell, but it's happening, is it not? It's certainly happening. I'm certainly familiar with the quote, and I'm familiar with the memes that have that quote on there. Um, I may have even read it for the show in the past, but I certainly found it relevant again. And there you have it. Again, what's interesting is, is that those very environments that tout a particular philosophy, they have no idea the philosophies of the individual that they are touting as being their school's philosophy. Like the Montessori schools. They take Maria Montessori at face value. They don't really do a deep dive on her philosophies. They weren't all sound. Some of them were. Some of them were not. But again, it just requires people thinking multidimensionally, of course, and, and doing a whole lot more research on particular individuals and philosophies, not to mention the irony. The irony of those environments probably all wearing the mask, probably all being jabbed, and Rudolf Steiner said that. Interesting. I find it interesting. Now, allow me to read this. And uh, again, I'm not backpatting here. Having people write salacious things about you that are completely false, of course, and do their best to discredit you is one of the things that I signed up for, and I'm 100% fine with it. So I'm certainly not playing the victim. In fact, I want to read this hit piece about me from two years ago because I find it. Uh, well, I, th I find it timely. And you can ask yourself as to the veracity of this entire article. It is brief, but I think, again, timely. This was from the Associated Press from two years ago, written on August 24th of 2021 by a Beatrice Dupey. You can't make that up. Dupey, D-U-P-U-Y, or Dupuy, or something. Who knows? Who cares? They're a liar. Anyway, the article is titled, Video Clip of Ohio School Board Meeting Spreads Vaccine Falsehoods. All right, let's see if that's true. It says, quote, a four-minute video clip of a man sharing several misleading claims about COVID-19 vaccines during a school board meeting in Ohio is making the rounds online. At the Talawanda City School District meeting on August 16th, Sean Brooks introduced himself as a doctor who has a Ph.D., period. According to his website, it is in education rather than science. Yes, they actually said that. They said that uh, my PhD is not in science. Well, I hate to break it to them. I don't know anybody who has a PhD in science. What's your PhD in? It's in science. Okay. <laughs> well, then you must be qualified. Because, you know, you're, you're a PhD of science. All science. The subject, the K-12 subject of science. 
It's insane. These people. Uh, I don't have to go through my credentials. You know what they are. Anyway, it continues. It says the video of his comments was shared widely on TikTok. I'm sorry, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. One clip on TikTok received more than 2 million likes. Brooks did not return a, a request for comment. Again, the AP never reached out to me. So there was no request. The entire paragraph is a lie, except for all the views that it got, which is great because it saved copious amounts of lives and it stopped people from taking further shots, which means it saved their life thus far. It continues. It says, here are some of his key claims and the facts. Uh-oh. Here comes the claim and then the facts section. Claim, Dr. Robert Malone, who created the messenger RNA vaccine, has said no one should ever take these jabs. Well, as it turns out, he was highly suspicious of it because he was protecting his medical license. I'll play audio from old Bobby later. Again, not a fan of his, for a variety of reasons. It says the facts. While Malone has publicly criticized COVID-19 vaccines and claims to have invented the idea of mRNA vaccine technology, he was not involved in the development of COVID-19 vaccines. Quote, I did not develop mRNA COVID vaccines, and I never was involved in developing a human mRNA vaccine, Malone told the Associated Press. Malone further clarified in an email that he never said that the COVID-19 vaccines should not be administered. Huh. I'm going to remember you said that. It says, quote, uh, In fact, multiple scientists contributed to the development of mRNA vaccines. Technology, specifically, over many years. The messenger RNA, also known as mRNA. Vaccines work by delivering a piece of genetic code from the spike protein of the coronavirus to train the immune system to react. Does it do that? Is that what really is going on now? It says the AP has reported on two different streams of research, neither of which involve Malone, that led to the Pfizer and Moderna mRNA vaccines against COVID-19. Here's the next claim that I made. People who have been vaccinated are going to die in the next six months to three to five years. Here's the facts. Can't make this up, according to the AP anyway. No evidence can be found to back up this prophecy. Data from millions of people who have been vaccinated shows COVID-19 vaccines do not cause death, but rather prevent it. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration gave full approval to Pfizer for its messenger RNA COVID-19 vaccine on Monday. None of that is true. None of it. Emergency use is not the same as full approval. And yes, they have killed copious amounts of people, and did at the time of that speech. It says the FDA had previously granted Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson emergency use authorization for their COVID-19 vaccines based on safety data that tracked more than 70,000 people through clinical trials. For emergency use authorization approval, trial participants are followed up two months after their last dose. There was no full FDA approval. There still isn't. It says the FDA reviews six months of safety data before granting full approval. The safety data now exists, quote, for a full year, in some cases 18 months, said Dr. Matthew Woodruff, an immunologist at Emory University, quote, 
we have seen over and over again no indications that the immune responses to these vaccines are functionally different to immune responses from other vaccines, unquote. So who's wrong in this article thus far? The AP, Dr. Robert Malone, and Dr. Matthew Woodruff. They're all wrong. The next claim, people who have been vaccinated have decreased their own immune system by 35%. That means that if they take a booster shot, including a flu shot in the future, they will die. Yeah. Here are the facts, according to the AP. COVID-19 vaccines do not decrease immune response. In fact, the vaccines boost the body's ability to mount an immune reaction against COVID-19, which is why health officials are encountering those who have already had the virus to get the vaccine. Brooks's claim about the flu shot is easily refuted with data. Flu shots were available last winter just as people began receiving COVID-19 shots, and deaths were not reported. No, <laughs> I'll tell you, isn't it amazing what time does? Time reveals all, does it not? It's biblical, ladies and gentlemen. It's in the flippin' Bible. Nor has there been any data indicating negative health effects for people who receive a flu shot after a COVID-19 vaccine. Weird. Because that's not true either. The CDC has recommended getting the flu shot throughout the ongoing pandemic even after COVID-19 vaccines began being administered. Unquote. Here's the next claim. COVID-19 vaccines will prompt the body into a process known as antibody-dependent enhancement, which will lead to cytokine storms and death. Here are the facts, so says the AP. Studies have shown COVID-19 vaccines do not cause antibody-dependent enhancement. The phenomenon occurs when antibodies wind up helping a virus rather than destroying it. On some rare occasions, antibody-dependent enhancement has, has occurred following certain vaccines, such as the dengue virus vaccine, according to them. Dr. Arnold Monto, uh-oh, another one, a, a University of Michigan disease specialist, previously told the AP the phenomenon of antibody-dependent enhancement hasn't been seen, quote-unquote, with COVID-19 vaccines. Brooks's claim about cytokine storms, a kind of infl inflammatory immune reaction, are also false. Cytokine storms are associated with COVID-19 infections but have not been recorded as a reaction to the available vaccines. Oh, how wrong they are. How wrong they are. The next claim, the vaccine will sterilize children permanently and 80% of women who have been jabbed have lost their children in the first trimester. The facts. Medical professionals agree that COVID-19 vaccines do not affect fertility. They do not cause sterilization and are safe for pregnant people. A Pfizer study found that just as many women who were given the vaccine became pregnant as those who received placebo shots. How would they know that? Those studies weren't available yet. How would they even know that? It says the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is encouraging pregnant women to receive the vaccine, particularly since pregnant women are at elevated risk for severe disease if they contract coronavirus. 
We're almost done. They say additionally, Brooks's comment that 80% of women miscarried is not backed up by any evidence and is contradicted by data. What data? A CDC analysis found that 2,500 women who received a dose of Pfizer or Moderna vaccine before 20 weeks of pregnancy showed no increased risk of miscarriage. Do you see where this is going? Here's the next claim, and this is the last one. Well, I should say this. It's the last one they they cherry pick. People who are vaccinated are not allowed to donate blood and blood plasma. The facts, according to the AP. Blood centers are accepting blood from people who have received COVID-19 vaccines and are encouraging vaccinated individuals to give blood. The American Red Cross has said that as long as individuals are symptom-free and feeling well at the time of donation, they can donate blood, excuse me, after receiving a COVID-19 vaccine. The American Association of Blood Banks has also said that the U.S. Food and Drug Administration blood donation eligibility criteria allow people who have received vaccines authorized in the U.S. to give blood. And then finally, the AP says, quote, This is part of AP's effort to address widely shared misinformation, including work with outside companies and organizations to add factual context to misleading content that is circulating online. To learn more about fact-checking at the AP, click here. Now, I really don't need to justify any of this, of course, with any explanation. I think we all get it. I think we all get it. I felt a responsibility to tell the truth based on what I knew to be factually accurate, because it is factually accurate. Everything that was mentioned there by those doctors, they were saying it because, well, let's face it, I'm smarter than they are. It's really that simple. They play a game that I don't play because I see right through the game. That's it. I will call myself smarter than Robert Malone. He is evil. I am not. There's the difference. Robert Malone was not on the scene until I grabbed a hold of that Overton window and broke it. I not only ripped it away from the media and I ripped it away from the parents whining about masks and CRT at school board meetings, and I destroyed that Overton window. I knew exactly what I was doing, and I did it on purpose. Hell, I planned it out back in March of 2021. For those that were listening to this show during that time, that's when I finished writing my last book, and I said, I'm going to have to do this, because I'm not hearing anybody say what's clearly existing at face value. So it's time to rip the Overton window away from the controllers and destroy it. And I did. What did that cause? And I just want to review here, because this is what anybody can do who is knowledgeable about a particular subject. You can rip the Overton window away from the enemy and highlight what really needs to be highlighted to the masses to get them to stop doing or keep doing a particular thing that is hopefully for the betterment of themselves and humanity as a whole. After I gave that speech, I immediately uploaded it that evening on BitChute. I was the one who did that. That would not have gone viral had I not actually selected the clip of me speaking and putting it out on my BitChute channel. Then it made its way to endless BitChute channels. Then it made its way to other platforms. I didn't move it to any other platform. I just put it on BitChute. 
and then it blew up from there. People were putting it on their BitChute channels, like I said, and so on and so forth. That's great. Translated into multiple languages, found its way around the world, saved endless lives. It had to have. It'd be mathematically impossible that it didn't. That very night, I was receiving emails from people. And they were saying, I haven't taken these, but I know someone who has. I was considering taking them, but now I'm not going to. Thank you for saying what you said. And so on and so on. There were many like that. There were many emails I received of people associating sexually with people who were, who were jabbed. And they said, what do I do? And I provided them the logical advice that you've heard me bring up here on the show on endless occasions. What it also did was, is it forced Robert Malone into the spotlight, which is not where he wanted to be. Robert Malone had given very few interviews, if any. There was only one interview series that he was associated with, and it was, a sa- it was the same interview series that Dr. Bhakti had been a part of, Dr. Mike Yeadon was, was selected to be a part of it, Catherine Austin Fitz was a part of that documentary series too. The name of it has slipped my mind, but there was Robert Malone with his horses in, in the background on his farm, or wherever the hell he was. And he was being interviewed like he was some flippin' expert. Outside of that, after my speech, and it was approximately one to two weeks later, actually, let me mention this. After that speech, one week later, that's of course when Alex Jones was getting my credentials wrong because lots of people apparently can't read and were getting my credentials wrong. And they have the search skills of a first grader on the internet. So, I sought to basically just correct my credentials. And then, of course, Alex Jones had me on and I said, look, man, I just want to correct my credentials. And he goes, no, man, you got more to talk about and blah, blah, blah. He even made fun of Robert Malone when we were having a phone conversation. So he knows Robert Malone's full of shit. On top of that, after I gave that speech, or or rather that, that talk with Alex Jones, I believe it was on a Tuesday, the following week, um... Within 12 hours of that talk, Pfizer approved their shots for 12 to 18-year-olds through emergency use authorization. That's when all hell broke loose. That's when every college and university across the board started to mandate, quote-unquote, the shots for their faculties and their students and all of their employees. This is what grabbing the Overton window and breaking it can do. It forces the enemy's hand and it speeds up their playbook. Ladies and gentlemen, God told me to do that back in March. He said, look, man, you're going to have to do this probably because no one else is doing it. So he sent me to San Antonio to watch all those brainwashed doctors down there call it a vaccine at the old white coat summit nonsense. I mean, I've been over these stories. I'm just wrapping this up because again, it's kind of an anniversary of that of that event there. And as a result of all of that, it forced the enemy's hand. Pfizer made their move and went, "Oh shit, we got to we got to get going." And they did within 12 hours of me being on Alex Jones's show. And then after that, like I said, every college and university immediately mandated it. And then they had their students and forced their students to take two shots within a short amount of time. Now, fortunately, endless college students are on social media. 
I bet a bunch of them hadn't taken the shots, were getting ready to go back to school, and saw my speech and went, nope, I'm not going back. They're making us take the shots, two of them within a, within a month time frame, forget it, not doing it. That's why college campuses were not as full as they used to be. I'm sure it was one of the many reasons, but that was certainly one of them. Again, anybody can grab the Overton window, I believe, and break it. All you have to do is tell the truth. All you have to do is tell what you know to be factually accurate. So before I play Robert Malone, let me read you this. This was August 11th from Leading Report on Twitter. Breaking. UK government has published official figures on deaths following COVID vaccination, revealing one in every 482 vaccinated people in England died within one month of vaccination. One in every 246 died within 60 days of vaccination. And one in every 73 were dead by May of 2022. So what does that mean? It means that as time goes on, things are not getting better for the jab, are they? They're getting worse. I put this out on Gab also just today. I said the following, quote, math problem. The U.S. population is approximately 334,233,854 people. Let's assume that 60% received two doses of the jabs just to be generous. That amounts to approximately 200,539,800 people. 50% of the jabbed have been said to have undiagnosed myocarditis. That amounts to 100,269,900 people. Of that number, 50% of those with myocarditis die within five years, with the other half expiring around the 10-year mark just due to myocarditis alone. That's an elimination of approximately 100,269,900 people in the next 10 years, and that's just from myocarditis. This doesn't count all other ailments from the jabs. Do you understand depopulation now? Unquote. Again, I understand that someone would say, Sean, where are you getting that 50% range? That's, that's a well-known fact across the board when it comes to myocarditis. And it's openly been said, even from Dr. Ryan Cole, that of the patients that he's seen that are jabbed, 50% of them are showing heart trouble. And many of those individuals were all undiagnosed. They had no idea that they had underlying issues of myocarditis. As you've heard me say, and I said it on even Kate Daly's show two years ago, that myocarditis is a death sentence. It's permanent heart damage. And once diagnosed, again, 50% of the individuals who have it will be dead in five years. That means that the other 50% will be dead after that. Now I want to play this. Here's Robert Malone. This is Robert Malone approximately two weeks after my speech at that school board meeting when he was invited for about three and a half minutes to talk on Tucker Carlson. I, I know right where I was when I first heard this. I know right where I was. 
I was in the parking lot leaning up against my car of an urgent care center because of that cough that I had two years ago that I couldn't get rid of. I had just been given prescription drugs, but I, I mean, I was in the process of waiting for them, but I was outside of that urgent care in the parking lot and I watched it on my cell phone and I could not believe how non-committal he was being. I couldn't believe what he was saying. So give this a listen. This is old Bobby himself and can't make this up. It's on his own YouTube channel. He's decided to keep this on his own YouTube channel because he's a dummy. So here's dummy in three, two, one. It's accessible to non-scientists. I hope you'll tell us, do you have concerns about these vaccines for people who aren't at great risk? Yes, uh, I think that uh, one of my concerns are that uh, the, we are, the government is not being transparent with us about what those risks are. And so uh, I'm of the opinion that people have the right to decide whether to accept vaccine or not, especially since these are experimental vaccines. This is a fundamental right having to do with uh, clinical research ethics. And uh, so my concern is that I know that there are risks, uh, but we don't have access to the data and the data haven't been captured rigorously enough so that we can accurately assess those risks. And therefore, for folks like uh, your audience, you and me, uh, we don't really have the information that we need to make a reasonable decision. Unfortunately, the risk-benefit analysis is not being done. So that's one of my other objections, is that we toss around these words risk-benefit analysis casually, yes. as if it's a very deep science. It's not. Um, normally, uh, at this stage, the CDC ACIP would have performed those risk-benefit analyses. They would be data-based and uh, science-based. They're not right now. They're, uh, it's kind of a little bit of the seat of the pants. And that I really object to. So you ask me, uh, do I think the risks, uh, um, the risk benefit ratio is appropriate for this age cohort? The truth is, I can't really say, but uh, certainly I can say that the risk benefit ratio for those 18 and below doesn't justify vaccines. And there's a pretty good chance that it doesn't justify vaccination in these very young adults. It's hard to believe that anybody would push universal vaccination on a country of 340 million people without getting the data you say don't exist. How, how did no one think to do that? I think that what we have is a structural problem in how the databases were, were built um, and how they're being analyzed. My understanding from colleagues inside the FDA is that the CDC is overwhelmed. Uh, they aren't even processing the data they have. And by the CDC's own admission in their recent MMWR report on safety and pregnancy, the the vSafe database, which is the one that they hold internal, um, is so poor that they can't draw any definitive conclusions about whether or not uh, these vaccines are safe in pregnancy. They believe they're generally safe, but the databases aren't sufficient to really demonstrate that. We're left in a position where we're waiting for data from places like Norway, Finland, Scandinavia, and hopefully from uh, Israel to back up uh, our, our decisions in public health. Unfortunately, the Israelis that we've been relying on did not pick up the 
these cardiotoxicity risks that we now are are learning about. They were first picked yeah. up by us uh, FDA people looking at the VAERS database. Shocking. And in an environment like this where we know so little, voices like yours are essential. And the, and the thought that you're being censored by the tech platforms that is, is a scandal. And I appreciate your coming on this show tonight. Doctor, thank you very much. Thank you for your time. A couple of things, without a doubt. He sounded a little nervous there, didn't he? Covering all his bases as quickly as he can, being very noncommittal. Uh, don't come after my medical license. I need that. Even though he's retired. Don't bother me too much. He didn't, he didn't sound like he wanted to be there. Now, did Fox News and anybody working at Fox News know about my school board speech? Yes. Did they reach out to me for comment or an interview? No. But they did Robert Malone, didn't they? They thrust his ass right into the spotlight, and he didn't necessarily want to be there. So what's the yarn that they spin when it comes to being thrust into the limelight and he can't specifically talk about the physical effects? I thought he was a medical doctor. I thought he was an MD. But he's not talking about it, is he? He's not mentioning any of that. It's all about rights. It's all about policy and procedure and administrative lapses and blah, blah, blah. Tucker could have asked him harder questions. He didn't. He could have asked him about the things that I said in that speech. He didn't. You see, this is the problem. These people are not our friends. Now, regarding the audio, it was not specifically video that where me personally, as I'm recording this, I, I can't see Tucker and, and old Bobby. I can't see the two of them. So I don't know if the actual audio that Malone put on his YouTube account is edited or not. But again, I do recall seeing it live. It was a brief episode or a brief interview. And that was, again, the best to my recollection. That's all he said. He didn't say anything else. But again, for him to say things like, we don't have or didn't have all the information to make informed consent or make a logical decision about any of this, sure we did. Lots of us did. That's why we didn't take anything. We didn't take anything because we don't take anything. That's the foundation aspect of the whole thing. And number two, when government screams at the top of your lungs to take something, usually that's a red flag. When the people you hate on TV tell you to take something and then make fun of you for not taking it, that's a red flag. When everybody's thinking alike, someone's not thinking, that's a red flag. Those were all the red flags I needed. I didn't need Don Lemon to tell me to take it and then go, well, Don Lemon said it, so I'd better go take it. You know that old trusty monkeypox Don Lemon? Give me a break. Any thinking individual knew that this was poison. Any thinking individual knew this was a bad idea. It was the followers, the sheep, and all of the brainwashed individuals who are not thinking people, they were the ones who fell for it. And they were, of course, grabbing a hold of it, thinking that this was something that they can control and they'll be knowledgeable because, well, they got it and other people didn't. And too bad for them, but yay for me. Well, those people are sick and dead. So how's that working out? How's it working out? 
Not to mention, he, he made clear mention right there uh, toward the end that, well, we're waiting for data from this country, that country, and trusted Israel. Oh, that trusted Israel. If we aren't waiting for data from them, we're still waiting on what Israel has to say about this whole thing. Isn't that a red flag too? Sure seems like it. Sure seems like that's a red flag. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, you know, it, it brings me no joy to, to revisit that. It really doesn't. And it doesn't bring me any joy to know that people fell for it. But look at everything that it has exposed. And it's, it's not even me and it's not even that old speech. It's just time. Look what time exposes. It's absolutely incredible because it is biblical. And this is a biblical time. And it is amazing. It's horrific. It's, fill, it's, it's glorious at the exact same time. But wow, it is certainly biblical. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. I'll catch you on Friday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.